Welcome to Beyond X's and O's podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petralis, and we're excited for not only our third episode tonight, but also a great third guest, somebody who is a dual threat head coach, um, you know, has been the softball coach over at Arlington High, will be entering their seventh season as head coach. And just this year, announced this winter after the season, will begin his first year as a head football coach also at Arlington High School. I know the town's really lucky to have him. The school's really lucky to have him. Someone who I've coached with the last two years and just have the utmost respect for as, as a man, but also as, as an educator and, and as a coach. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, welcome on the show, um, Matt O'Laughlin. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm not sure I deserve that welcome, but, but <laughs> no, you definitely do. I mean, Matt, for those who just don't know, Matt is a great guy that I coached with. Um, someone who just, you know, when, when you start in the coaching and, and you look for responsible adults to work with kids, you know, talking to Matt for two minutes, I knew it's exactly what, you know, we wanted to promote in our program and someone we have working with these kids, you know, as, as not only players, but as men. So I was really lucky to get to know him. And uh, he, he's a tremendous coach. He runs tremendous programs. His softball program is, you know, been to the state tournament five of the last six years. It's had several top 10 rankings throughout the year. Um, you know, and it has won multiple league championships, I believe about two league championships. So, you know, someone who really knows how to, you know, coach young people and, and be a leader. So, you know, Matt, welcome, like I said, and, you know, I'm going to jump right into it with you. You're the head softball coach over in Arlington High School. How did you begin your, your tenure? Or how did you begin your coaching career to become a softball coach? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a weird jump. I, we, I started, you know, obviously playing sports growing up and baseball was probably my go-to sport. Um, I loved football, but for some reason, baseball just kind of always made sense to me um, through my childhood. I think once I got to high school, football became more of a priority. Um, and, and I started to love that more because, you know, you get to legally hit people. <laughs> it's a great game. Yeah. Um, but, but in my formative years, I was big into baseball and you know, after college and, and early in my teaching career, I, I coached a little more on like the private lesson side, um, helped run some clinics, things like that for baseball. And then I, you know, I, I took some time off and a job opened up at, at Arlington Catholic that a friend of mine told me about. And I ended up coming over to Arlington Catholic uh, to coach the JV team. And I did that for a year um, and I loved it. I just fell in love with the game. Um, loved working with the girls. It was a little different than what I was doing for my, my day job. Um, you know, cause I was working with some tougher kind of more at risk kids. So these girls were just, just different. Um, and it was, it was great coaching them and I loved it. And then the next year, um, the head coach moved on, she was starting a family and a guy named Paul Riccardi took the program over. He was, he was the assistant, um, my first year. And he asked me if I'd come up and be a varsity assistant. And, uh, you know, once you take that next step to the varsity level and the competition gets a little bit more, you know, a little heavier and you try to win every game and you're trying to win state, you know, state tournament games and league titles, I fell in love with it even more. Um, and to be honest, I, I, I never would have left if it wasn't for the fact that a job at AHS just happened to open up. And I just took a throwaway interview, you know, um, two years of experience. I didn't think I had a shot, um, but they... Uh, better or worse, they gave me the job that year. So I was, I was at AC for two years. Um, and then I went straight to Arlington High. And I'm always curious about this in general. I think, you know, especially when you jump into coaching in any sport, right? You go into it year one being like, I know so much about this sport. I play this sport. I watch this sport. You know, I, I, it's been a part of my life. And then you kind of go into that first year and you don't really know as much as you think you do, or there's so much more of a load to handle. What would you say was the biggest difference between the first year of your coaching career saying versus now going into it with an off season, understanding your team a little bit more going into year two when you were an assistant coach and made that jump to varsity? Yeah. I mean, the, the jump, um, depending on the program from JV to varsity in any sport, but I do think it, especially in, in girls, high school athletics, the, the jump is, is a significant, significant jump. Um, so, you know, we had a lot of successes. We had a lot of failures that year on JV, but then getting up to the varsity level, it, it was almost shocking. It was like, Oh, oh wow. This is, this yeah. is, yeah, this is, this is tough. Like these girls are hard nosed. They want to win. Um, and, and, you know, in softball, you're pitching from 43 feet. It's not 60 feet. So like you see a good pitcher that, that looks like it's coming in at about 90 for a baseball player, you know, if, if they throw really good. So just seeing that for the first time, it, it, it was, it was eye opening. 
it was, it was, you know, it was an experience where I, I was like, oh my God, like the, these kids, these kids, like it's scary. Warming up some of these pitches is scary. Um, and it's different than baseball. Like I was a catcher in baseball, but you had so long to see the ball come up on you and everything. So it's like, it, everything's just more compact, quicker. Um, it's, it's just, it, I realized what a fun game it is at, at that top level. Now, and, and, and I know in football, like we would go to clinics and webinars and things like that. Are there off season, like from when you made that, you know, jump from just one year to the second year or from taking a head coaching job after that, is there like, you know, um, clinics that you can go to or different things that you can go to, like there is in football, for example? So there is, I've never done it. Cause I don't, I don't know what, it, I mean, football, you know, like, like there's so many X's and O's and there's so many different offenses and defenses and special teams. Like you could do a, you could do a, a five day clinic on just like, you know, just the front seven and a three, four defense. You could go five days, eight hours a day yeah. with, with softball. It's just, it's a little bit different. So I've never tried one of those things. I, I really, I, I coach softball pretty much from a baseball standpoint. And then I just learned to tweak it over the years. Cause there are, there, there are definitely differences, but there are a lot of similarities and people, a lot of times people don't want to admit there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities. Yeah. So, you know, would, would you say, so, you know, obviously you're now making that jump and, and I went over, you know, your accolades as a, as a softball coach, you know, right when we started this episode, but I'm curious. And for the coaches that are listening out there, young coaches, I mean, now you go from two years of coaching softball to an opportunity at Arlington high school, you know, you're an Arlington native um, to take a job. There was a new athletic director at the time. So you went in there really just being like, yep, I live in Arlington, but I don't have any connection to this. You went in interviewed, clearly impressed. How do you now begin to meet with your team and get your program off the ground running? Um, similar to this year, except I could do it in person, right? So, like, I, I, start, I started with the captains. Like, you want to meet with the captains and establish that relationship. And they had already been, like this year with football, um, chosen by the, by the previous coach. Um, and in both cases, great choices all around. Um, so I met with the captains, wanted to make sure uh, they kind of knew where I was coming from. And I asked them a lot of questions. Like, that was the biggest thing, because I didn't want to come in and shock these kids and just run. But a great example is at, at AC, we only, we only went Monday to Friday. And so I said something about that with the captains. I was like, yeah, well, you probably have Saturdays off. And they looked at me like I was out of my mind. So I was like, all right, so we're practicing on Saturday. Like, yeah. let's go. So yeah, I, hey. <laughs> I, really, I used them as a way to teach, my, to teach me. And then I was hoping that they could kind of present, hey, here's this guy taking over. We had a good meeting, then met with the whole team. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I try to use the captains as kind of ambassadors, or, or sometimes I call them translators from me to the rest of the team. That's great. And so, you know, so then I guess I ask you a follow-up to this. So you met with your captains, you kind of wanted to feel out really what the program has been about. So you're adopting some sort of culture, right? You're adopting, adopting this program with a certain work ethic and a certain culture. And I'm not talking anything about the person who was there before. I don't mean to gear this question that way, but how do you then begin to adapt your beliefs, your culture, your thoughts into what's already there? Yeah, I mean, I, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately. Like, my thing about sports and my belief about sports in general, any sport, and I don't mean this to be a negative, but you're trying to impose your will on another team. That, that's what you're doing. It doesn't matter the sport. Even if you're golfing, you're trying – your will is to be more mentally sound than the other golfer, so you hit the pots. Like, you're trying to impose your will on the other team. So I like to just really kind of preach confidence – I want my kids confident. I want my kids working hard. I want my kids aggressive, regardless of the sport. Um, and that first year that I took over, I definitely was nervous about that because it was a, they were a team that I had played or coached against at AC. We played them during the year. And, and, and their record didn't match their talent. So the first thing I wanted to do was really not necessarily teach them how to win, but show them how good they were and show them how to win again because they had done it in the past. And it wasn't that they were, you know, 0 and 20. I think they went 12 and 8. But it was a team that had, I'm going to say, six kids that went on to play in college. You only start nine. You know what I mean? It, it was an impressive team. So I wanted to just show them how impressive they were again. That was my first real goal. And that's great. So you went into that first season, and now you kind of, you know, told us what it was you were trying to create. What was the result of that? What was the result of year one for you? Year, year one went really well. Um, I was, like I said, it was a very talented group. I think we went 17 and three my first year. And then the second year we went wow. 16 and four. And I remember my father saying, well, you're getting worse every year. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we, we went 17 and three, we made a, uh, we won a game in the state tournament and then we got knocked out by 
Tewksbury. Um, but I still learned a lot. I, I you know, we, we were, I think we were eight and oh heading into Reading and I'll never forget it. My, I, I'm meeting with the girls. I'm like, girls, we're not going to win every game and that's okay. And I'm saying this before the game thinking I'm kind of, you know, doing the right thing and showing them like, Hey, I'm not expecting perfection. But then I had my starting pitcher come up to me after the game and we did lose and just went coach. Uh, yeah. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> don't, don't ever say it's okay to lose. Like that's not what we want to be. And that taught me a lot. Right. Cause I think, I was three years in working with girls and I just, I, I think it was a transition to, to how hard can you coach these kids? Because, you know, I, I say it to them all the time. I was never a 16 year old girl. I don't know what's going on inside your head. All I can try to do is understand it. And I think in the beginning I was too soft, if that makes sense. No, I mean, I, I think it does. I think it's an adjustment of coaching boys versus coaching girls and just the way that you kind of carry yourself and present yourself and speak to them is really important. Um, and, and, I, and I love what you said about like, you know, learning a lot the first year about how people want to win. But I think an important part of that coaching aspect of it, which I agree with you with, is that you also have to teach kids how to lose, right? Because they need to understand what losing feels like. And they also need to understand, you know, if they lost a game, why did they lose a game? And then you then carry it into, well, what could you have done more to prevent that, right? So now your practices get a little bit better, your mentality gets a little bit better, but you also kind of find out the mental aspect of your team when it comes to that, right? The mental toughness of a team that you have. Can they bounce back from that? Are they going to dwell and hang on to something that happened three or four games from now, still thinking about it and talking about it? So I'm sure in the world of softball where, you know, you're playing a lot more games in football, you know, it's a quick turnaround from maybe having a really tough game. And then maybe the next day or two days later, kind of bouncing back. And you mentioned 17 and three and 16 and four. So I have to ask you, what did you have that year? I mean, besides being a great coach, and I'm not taking anything away from you. Is it the pitching? Is it the hitting? Is it just the fundamentals? I mean, what do you, what do you like, you know, say your six, where your success is in softball those first two years? Uh, we, de- we, they were great all around teams. That first year I had two incredible pitchers and remember the difference between softball and baseball, right? Is like there's in baseball, there's wear and tear on the arm. Um, so your pitchers you need, especially now, cause there's pitch, there's pitch counts and, and inning limits for high school baseball in softball. There isn't. So I had my kid, my, my pitcher for the last four years, unfortunately she didn't get to finish her senior year and, and she, she could have, I mean, I can't prove it, but depending on how we did, she may have been the all-time winningest pitcher at Arlington just because of how many games we won in her time. And she was a phenomenal pitcher. Um, but she, she probably pitched 19 games for me two years ago, 19 wow. out of 20. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. if you have it, that, so that first year we had, we had two pitchers and I think they started, they each started 10 games and it was like, you know, it, it, you couldn't, you couldn't pick wrong. Um, and then the rest of the team was very solid. Very, it, the biggest thing was softball. And I think, it's probably similar in like basketball and maybe even hockey. Now it, it's different in football though. It, it's AAU. I mean, it, it stinks. It's tough to tell parents like, Hey, you got to go out and spend money, but it's just the fact you if your kid doesn't play year round, she or he is going up against kids that are playing, you know, 10 months yeah. out of the year. It's, it's just the facts of it. And there was a lot of AAU players in it. And, and that was that another thing I learned, right? Like you have to get your kids in AAU, like you have to get them playing year round. Um, and, and those groups had kids that had been playing together a long, long time. And so I guess that kind of leads into my next question here a little bit. And that is, what does a softball offseason look like? You know, I'm so familiar with the world of football and, you know, you wanting your kids to maybe play other sports, but hearing softball, it seems like it can be one of those sports, you know, football isn't a year round sport. You I mean, you have seven on sevens in the spring into the summer, um, you know, and I know there's the new seven on seven indoor leagues that, that are going on as well, but you know, there really isn't like football in the winter or football in the spring, like there is other sports. So what does a softball off season look like for your team and, and for you as well? Uh, so, so, I mean, it depends, right? Like we want as many kids playing this game as possible. So for the kids, you have the season, which is a short season. And then there's a, there's a, you know, there'll be town league teams for every different town. Medford has a great one. Arlington um, participates in one called Middle Essex. And, and kids can keep playing that. But then a lot of kids and most, I mean, unfortunately, just the way it is, most of your varsity kids, if you're in a, in a program that's, you know, competing at a high, high level every year, they're going to be playing AAU. And what the offseason looks like for AAU is honestly probably more intense than the regular season. So 
you know, I, I coach in a program that has a lot of Arlington kids in it. We like to call ourselves like the home of the three sport athlete. So we only have a couple practices a week of things like that. But there are other teams, which a lot of my girls have played for, that you're practicing five days a week. And if you miss a practice in February, they're going to remember it in a tournament in July. And they're going to say, hey, you weren't there. You, you weren't showing up. Um, but so, so really what it looks like is the season ends. And then that first weekend, you're going to have either practice for your town team or you're going to have an AAU tournament. And then you're going to have practices. And that's going to run right through August. And you have tryouts in, at the end of July for your next year's AAU team. And then you play fall ball. Like, like I've been coaching double headers every Sunday um, and we'll go right to November and then we'll take a break to like January, February, and then we'll go in the cage and start hitting until high school starts again. So you're talking nine to 10 months of, of kind of going after it. And, and, and again, you pick your program. So like one program might have one practice a week, so you can still play all these other sports, other programs like, nope, you're just, you're playing softball. Wow. And so how common is it that, that coaches that maybe coach a high school team, uh, also the coaches of these AAU teams is, is it pretty common or is this something you kind of go above and beyond and do I think I, I, I like I know uh, like a lot of the coaches I'm friendly with at least have connections to AAU teams um, it, you know it's probably of your successful you know perennial successful teams I, I think a lot of them are tied in with AAU teams I don't know how much coaching um, they do but there's there's a lot that do coach um, I wouldn't say it's like 50% or anything. I don't want to put a number on it, but um, you know, if it uh, successful towns and teams are usually have a pipeline to different AAU programs and it's not, listen, nobody's making money. Like nobody's, somebody's making money off it. The coaches, yeah. are making money off it. <laughs> but, but, uh, but you know, we just want kids playing year round and, and it's what you have to do. And, and, you know, if that sounds crazy to people living up here, other parts of the country are even more insane about it. Like, I mean, you go to Florida, those kids, they're, they're practicing six days a week year round. It's amazing. It, it's crazy. And, and, you know, I guess in part of that, you know, the success that you have, and we keep talking about that is, you know, to me, it has to be your coaching style. I mean, I coach with you for two years and, you know, you have a certain demeanor about you and maybe it's different in the world of softball um, for you, but what, how would you describe your coaching style with, with your team? I mean, just your overall demeanor and, and how you approach things, you know, as a head coach. Yeah, I, I think I've almost got to a point where I'm, I'm, I'm the same person with football as softball. I'm, I'm almost there. I'm not there yet. And I'd love to be all the way there. Um, but I think my style is, I, I think kids would say I'm a player's coach for the most part. You're always going to have kids that, I mean, some of my favorite kids of, that I've ever coached think that I hate them or, you know, you're always going to have kids that there's just miscommunication with. Um, but I think most would say like, I'm, I'm more of a, I'm a player's coach with a fine line. I have a line that you just can't cross. And whether that's, um, you know, schoolwork or just being a good person, being a leader, being a good community member, things like that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to yell at you, but you know, once, once you cross the line, we're going to have some, some reformation to get through. Like we're going to have to figure this out, you know? Um, and, and I want, I always want kids comfortable, even if they think I hate them, I want kids comfortable to come to me with problems. If anything's going on or if something's not right. Um, I, I think coaches, I think a huge part of coaching that I'm not sure everybody realizes sometimes we're the biggest connection or one of the biggest connections these kids have to, you know, just an adult to talk to that isn't a teacher or isn't a parent that, that they feel like they can get advice from and be truthful with, you know? And I, and I think, I think if you start there, you, you, that, that helps create a culture, you know? Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, being an educator, it just goes hand in hand with that, right? Like you have control of a classroom all day, you know how to talk to kids and every kid needs to be spoken to differently. And every kid just needs a different approach. It's not the same approach and same kind of methods you use for every single kid. So when you get into the world of softball, like I'm sure, you know, you have, you know, obviously things that are going on outside of the game, but inside the game, you have different types of players, right? You have some players who I'm sure are fast runners and great fielders, some who are great hitters, some of them are really good pitchers. And, you know, that's, you know, again, as a coach, you're kind of adapting to everything you have and creating your lineup and creating what your defensive lineup that you have out there and your substitutions and all that. As far as coaching in the game, what is your style? I mean, are you kind of like, um, you know, get up and swing away type team? Are you small ball type team? Are you aggressive on the base paths? I mean, what, how, how is your coaching style in, in, in game during softball? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a style I like, and I've been lucky enough to have teams that 
fit that style, but I, you and I used to talk about this, right? Like with football, like you, you can have a system that's great, but unless we're not college, we're not recruiting certain types of kids. So I love aggressive, fast paced, small ball, you know, just try to get up two to two to one, three to two, and then hold that lead and then just try to get more runs in. Um, I've been blessed with some really good hitting teams. So I've had some teams where I said, Hey, we should be scoring 10 runs a game. Now that you play that a little bit different when you have a team like that. Um, but I love to steal. We love to, you know, we love to run on the base paths, things like that. But if I have a team that can just mash the ball and isn't too quick, I'm not going to be able to do that. You know, if, if you're a, I, like I always say it, and I'm sure some people might disagree, but you and I have had the conversation. If you really want to be a four, three and you don't have a middle linebacker, it's going to be really, really hard to be a four, three, no matter how much you love it. Right. Right. And, and I always find that interesting, the chess game behind it. Right. And I think it, it's good to hear that it's in every sport, right. You know, where some people have systems and they build to that system and some people kind of say, okay, I have a system. However, I need to be, a, you know, adaptable with that system because I'm not always going to have the personnel I need in any sport. So, you know, my, my last question to you before we kind of jump in, into the other world of yours is what would you say as being now the head coach going into your seventh year, is maybe your proudest moment as the soft head softball coach at Arlington High School. I mean, you've had a ton of success, Matt. You've made the state tournament five of your six years. Um, you know, you won two league championships. You've been in the top 20. I know I followed you guys on Twitter, and I know you broke top 10 a few times. So what would you say is your proudest moment of being the head coach of this program that you have kind of, you know, built up into something that, that, that's a, a real good thing going on here? I mean, I, th I think like accolades are great. Like the league titles are great and you always want to make the state tournament. Um, but, you know, overall, I think I, th I really feel like the greatest achievement we've had, um, you know, my coaching staff and, and the kids since we've taken over is just we've created consistency. We've gotten to a point where the program is feeding itself. You know, like we, we had uh, Saturday right, for, the, for the next four or five Saturdays every every Saturday one to three we're running clinics and we have 35 to 40 youth girls showing up to those clinics um and just kind of you know trying to have fun playing the sport some are just trying it out for the first time so I think we've we've done a good job and, and my players have been phenomenal they all run the clinics we've done a great job of community outreach and really selling the sport and selling it with by by focusing and you know, showing and spotlight on our high school athletes who are great kids and they yeah. want to help the community and they want to work with the, with, and, and it's great. It, 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 it kills, you know, two stone, like two, two birds, with one stone because they're, my kids are getting a great experience by coaching because you never learn more than when you're coaching. And I don't care if it's a league all-star, all scholastic, helping a six-year-old with a swing, something clicks. They're like, oh, that's what, that's what I should have been doing. So, so they're learning by coaching. The kids are getting a great experience and they all need community service hours in high school anyway. So I can give them community service hours yeah. for the clinics. It's, it's great. And I just feel like in general, I mean, Arlington's a great town, right? But there's something to be said when you are that six and seven-year-old kid and those older kids are working with you and you're, you want to be a softball player. That's why you're there. So now here you are as a youth, a little kid, remembering that you got to work with the high school team and work in a really nice facility. And that's something to look forward to as you get older and play softball and being like, oh, one day I hope I get to be the one who's now working with little kids. And I mean, we used to, we used to talk about that in, in football a little bit, but it's the same thing on Thanksgiving day, you know, with any local city in town that has little kids visiting that has a real good pop Warner program or a USA football program that they look at like, I want to be like number seven. I want to be like number 12 and I want to play that position or I want to be just like this guy. Cause we play the same position. Like it's cool. And I think you implementing that and getting your kids to work with the youth is just something that you're right. It's going to feed itself because you're building a program that not only is a you know, powerhouse high school team in, in action, but off the field too, are working hard in AU leagues and constantly getting better, but also having time to work, you know, with the youth. I mean, I think it makes them, you know, humbles them a little bit to realize of how athletes do have power. We talk about professional athletes have power and, and high school kids do too, you know, in, in that world, they absolutely do. So I, you know, we, we talked about it all the time, coaching together, how great your program is. And I know your social media is always buzzing. I'm following you guys on Twitter all the time in season. And, um, and I'm a huge fan as you know, so um, I'm going to jump into the world of football, you know, where you and I met, um, you know, obviously our season ended this year. We ended with tough Thanksgiving loss, you know, 12, eight to Shaw Sheen and, 
you know, that, that job at Arlington opened up fairly quick, you know, Rob DiLoretto, phenomenal coach, you know, I had an opportunity elsewhere and, and took it. And, um, you know, he, he's a great guy, great coach who took in a program and made them, you know, a tough team, a tough, tough team. And now they're getting a great coach coming in to kind of jump into that. So talk about the process, a little bit of applying for the job and hitting the ground running, you know, what were the, kind of the first things you've done to, to really get acquainted with your players? Well, applying for the job, I, uh, you were the last person I, I, I was waiting to, to speak with you about some stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I held off for a little bit. Uh, and I had, to talk, I had to talk to my wife too. Um, but, you know, I've been, I was at AC with, with you for the last two years and served before that. And, uh, I couldn't have picked somebody better to work with than you, to be honest with you. And, and the you. fact that I, I was, you know, working under Serge, who's an unbelievable coach, a Hall of Fame coach, um, AC was not a tough place to leave. And, and I hated, I hated that I had to do it twice for Arlington high across the street, you know, um, it, you know, so, so applying for the job anytime. And, and as teachers, it's the same thing. Anytime you take a new job, like you're never ready to leave a group of kids. You're never ready to, to move on. There's always going to be some, some couple kids or, or a group of kids that you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do without those kids. Like I want to see them through. Um, so it was a tough decision, it, 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 you know, to, to, to apply. I never thought I was really going to, get it you never do when you go for these things you know um but the you know the process was was pretty simple it um i i do have a relationship with the athletic director over there he used to be the boys basketball coach at Arlington High, john bowler he was an incredible high school basketball coach uh, and a great guy so you know the interviews were comfortable um but there was that they're intimidating at the same time like I, I was comfortable with my would-be boss but at the same time i had the committee members and stuff right from the jump, you interview with like five, six people and you're in a room. Um, and and I, I had some things to say during the interview that I didn't know how people were going to take it. For instance, they, you know, the subject of Pup Warner came up and I, I, I'm not sure I want Pup Warner. I, I don't want that as a feeder program. I think I want flag football because I don't want kids having bad experiences, having tough, tough hits, maybe not receiving the coaching that they should be getting the proper, how do you, how do you form tackle? How do you keep your head up? All those things. Um, and when you're on an interview with, with, you know, guys from the touchdown club in Arlington, that might not be the most popular thing. But, but, but in my head, I was thinking, if I'm going to get this job, if I, I want it to be on my terms, I don't want it to be by saying things that I don't believe. Um, so, you know, two interviews, got the job, and then, uh, and then Corona hit. So then we, then we all, then, then, then everything went crazy. And we were all scrambling to figure out how we were going to teach kids and how we were going to you know, just have school. Right. Um, but I kind of just started doing, I, I took what you did last year or two years ago when you took over and I wanted to meet with anybody who wanted to meet with me. Right. So I just, I couldn't do a face to face. So we just did it on zooms and, and we, we met and we talked and I took notes and, you know, you start to get to know the kids as best as you can. And then fast forward to things loosening up, we put a plan in place and we're able to actually get out and have, you know, non-football related workouts. So, we probably saw 35 different kids, but, you know, 20 at a time. And, uh, you know, we're still getting to know the kids and, and we're excited that we have a chance to play February 22nd, but it's definitely, it's, it's definitely a very weird time to be taking over any kind of program. Yeah. Period. I mean, just coming in and, and from, you know, from the beginning, like, you know, you don't have the experience of, you know, you're working at that school, but not necessarily in the football program. So, you know, when you're supposed to typically meet your kids, now you can't, you know, there's a worldwide pandemic going on. So it is uncharted waters. I mean, and, and so many layers and so many levels from the top all the way down to just things like schools and athletics and all of that. So it, it is a crazy time for sure. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you getting the job and then you know, putting a coach and staff together, because I know for me, that was number one. I mean, in, in, in hiring you, it was to me, the most important coach after the head coach is your offensive line coach, because your offensive line coach is needs to be somebody who communicates well, who understands what they're talking about and can teach it to kids. You can know what you're talking about and you can talk really well to me, but can you coach it and teach it to kids and talking to you for five minutes I knew you were all the above. So how do you go about, you know, just finding coaches in general that you trust that, you know, are going to kind of implement the things that you want and most importantly, be someone for a program that you're trying to build your way. I mean, you have that experience with softball, but football is a different world. 
and it's a bigger staff, right? I mean, uh, at, you know, in Arlington, we have, it's uh, seven, including me, and then I have two, two, two guys that have gone and volunteered too. So, so we're already at nine and, and it, can, it, it only gets bigger from there. Um, you always inherit coaches, I think, when you take over a program, unless, unless you take an over a program that really ha had some struggles. I think you're always going to inherit, and I inherited some great coaches. The, the defensive coordinator, Mark Regan, from last year is coming back. Um, John Hanley, who was my football coach at Arlington High, is, is the quarterback's coach. Like, so, they, they, you know, there, there were people that, that were staying, no matter what. They, I was keeping them. And then my brother, Dan, who coaches everything with me, he, you know, he was coming over. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I made some other offers to some different guys, and, and some either wanted to stay or take, take some time off. But, but we rounded it out with, you know, you know everybody there has a, a big coaching resume or – you know, a decent coaching resume, but a lot of work with kids. You know, you can trust them with kids. Um, we had two two volunteers on last year's staff that we bumped up to to full, you know, to to paid positions. Um, another AC guy, Joe Granado, is one of them. And, oh, I know Joe. Joe's uh, a great and, guy. Yep. Yeah, and Nick Nick Deja is coming over too. So we got a couple of guys that played for you on on Super Bowl teams. You know, which I think is important too because they can. I mean, they're not that old, and they can say no. Like we we just went through this ten years ago. Like. You know, we, we knew how to be successful back then. Um, but I do think it's important, as you said, to have coaches that first and foremost know how to work with kids and like working with kids. Because if, if you don't like working with kids, you, you know, it's why are you doing it? You know, so, so that's really the biggest thing. And then we got a couple of volunteers in that um, are either really young or kind of new to coaching football that we're going to bring along and hopefully – as as other coaches move on to take over their own programs or get bigger jobs, then then you can start moving those guys up as they learn. That's great. And, and right now, I know last year numbers were a little bit lower, but as the year went on, I, I know Rob did a great job of kind of maintaining those numbers or increasing them. So what are your numbers looking like right now as a first-year coach in your program? Yeah, so, so Rob did a great job um, recruiting, and, I mean, he got a lot out of that team. Like, so, so he, he, he had success on the field. Um, you know, the league struggled a little in the league, but it's a good, it's a tough it's a great league. league. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a tough league, but, but outside the league had four wins, um, ran the single, ran a single wing. Like he, he, he threw everything out, you know, but the kitchen sink and, and he did great and kids flocked to him. So the program built under him. Um, and I do think they were struggling with numbers towards the end, but by the time I was having my meeting, I think he did such a good job. And I do think that you get a bump. I mean, if you're a new coach, you get a little bump. It's just built in. You get, you get some kids that are willing to try it out. Um, we had like 55 kids. Like when I email my kids, it's like 55 kids on the list. I don't know what the virus and the pandemic is going to do to those numbers. Um, but I'm also the, the first thing, because I'm, I'm always thinking about this stuff. Once we went to four seasons, I went straight to my captains and seniors and said, hey, tell the whole team, if there are kids that play soccer that are athletes, now this is going to be the only chance they can to play football. So I'm trying to get kids from other sports that couldn't – like my, my senior – one of my senior captains is playing golf. Why not? Play another sport. I mean, you know? that's so interesting. I never thought of that, right? Like you, there are some athletes that – I mean, I know when I see – a pretty good soccer player at AC. And I was like, oh man, this kid can run. He's fast. He's built. Like this is a receiver, a tight end right here. Like, you know, oh, I mean, I never really thought of that. That's, that's an interesting perspective through all of this is that you may have some kids who aren't available that may just want to come out and play because it's a different season, different time. And they have the opportunity to that's, I mean, that's great. I never thought of that. You know, and you mentioned your league. So I, you know, obviously I want to talk about your league. I, I got to see Arlington last year. We scrimmaged them as you know, and you know, Rob coached those guys hard and we had joint practices and you know, it was great working with the program and, 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 uh, you know, really Arlington Catholic and Arlington high school working together real well, you know, one town, two schools, there should be a relationship. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, what I would say, what I would ask you is, is how do you now go about teaching a system? I mean, again, you're, you're coming in, you know, offensively, what are you wanting to look like defensively? I mean, I know those are some questions that you probably still have, but you've watched a good amount of film, I'm sure, to kind of see what you have and see what you can be. What's your thought about the type of system that you're going to run uh, this winter? <laughs> yeah, so we, um, we wanted to design a system that could kind of carry over from year to year with minor tweaks, right? So like this year, our, our quarterback is, you know, 6'3", and tall and a real smart kid and and knows you know can read defenses and things like that but 
you know, if we have more of a, a scrambling, smaller option type quarterback in a couple of years, we didn't want to have to make huge switches. So we are going to go to a pistol. Um, and, and this year, the plan is to be more of a kind of read option um, RPO pistol team. Now, I have to see it, right? Like, that's the plan. So you always need to have a backup plan. But, but right now, we have some simple plays and a small playbook designed around an RPO system. So, I mean, if you have seven plays, you really have 21, right? Because there's three options on almost every play. So exactly. that's kind of the way we're, we're building it. And defensively, um, we, we're going to be... Uh, they were very comfortable with a 4-4, cover three last year, as we did at AC most of the time. Um, I think I think that's like the default. If you don't know who you are, you're a 4-4, cover three. And sometimes you can be a 4-4, cover three because you are, but it, that's everybody's fallback, I feel like anyway. And um, so we're, go we're going to have that, but we're also going to play with a, a defense that we've been researching from um, from Kirby Smart at Georgia. Um, oh, yeah. That's really, it's, it's almost a, it's like a three, four hybrid type of look um, against spread teams, you know, uh, you know, so if, if teams come out heavy, we'll, we'll be able to go to a four, four and different fronts, but it, it, you know, with, with spread being, you're talking to Serge about it on your first podcast, like, like he really was one of the first to bring the spread in and now everybody's doing it, but we're all still running the same defenses against it. And that was kind of what, what Kirby Smart had been saying back from his days in Alabama. So um, we watched a lot of tape on that and uh, tried to kind of convert it to a high school system because obviously it's going to be a little bit different. But yeah, so so that's the plan. We're gonna we're gonna have a hybrid look and probably a four four. Yeah, you know, and I think you know going back to pistol. I mean, especially two by two pistol. You know, for defenses right away, it's hard for them to identify a strength. So they're either going off of maybe they see on film what side you run the ball to more, or they might just identify it by wide side of the field. So keeping teams off balance and running RPO out of that, you know, it takes some work, but it's there because you're keeping defenses pretty balanced and they may not be able to switch strength or they might identify the wrong side as the strength. And, and now you put yourself in a, at a pretty big advantage, right? And defensively, it's smart. Uh, listen, it, it, football is a constantly a game that's evolving. And it's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, we, there really hasn't been answers for spread. I mean, I've seen some coaches run cover four against spread. And to me, it's the best of both worlds because you get a man look, but you're also playing deep forts. And for quarterbacks that aren't particularly great at reading or coaches that just aren't going to take what's given to them, it's, it's, it's a great defense to run. But yeah, absolutely. Especially if you can get teams in third and seven, third and eight plus a lot more than not. Now you're giving yourself the opportunity to get some personnel out there to move some guys around to make coverages or mix coverages or disguise them. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. Um, what would you say, I mean, you mentioned surge, right? So obviously I'll, I'll go a little backwards here is what, would, I mean, working for a guy like that, you worked together for two years. I knew you knew him a little personally uh, before that. What's the biggest thing you learn from a guy like surge? Because I know I learned so much from him. So I'm always interested in anybody who coaches with him or under him um, to hear what they really pulled from him. Uh, Serge's relationship with the kids and how the kids responded to Serge was incredible. I mean, the, the football knowledge and the X's and O's, it, it goes without saying, he's forgotten more football than I'll ever know in my life. He, he, he you know, he, he's the type of guy who can, you know, you don't even think he's looking at the field, but he can break down the whole play <laughs> and play where every, every number was. And so, I mean, that, that goes without saying, but the way he could get kids to respond and, and get his message across and he, you know, he always kind of stuck with his convictions. And, and I, I really appreciated that. And, and I, especially working at a school like Arlington Catholic, being a Catholic school, um, I, just, I just appreciated, you know, how solid of a person he was for the kids. Yeah, and, and bingo. I mean, bingo. That's, that's exactly what, you know, and, and truthfully, Matt, that's what you sound like. That's, that's what you are. That's what you were with me. And, and, and I, oh, I, I got to ask you this question because to me, it's just, I, I have to know. And I think a lot of coaches who are listening to this in the football world will know you were the first year you were with me, you were an O-line coach and you're a phenomenal O-line coach at that. You really took an O-line that had graduated the year before and you really formed a real good O-line that not only had pretty good depth, but had pretty good depth the following year too. What is the relationship between O-linemen and their, and their coaches? Because there's no position other than O-line and football that I feel like that the kids and the coaches are just always seeming like they're having a party at their end of the field. There's a lot of yelling, a lot of hooting and hollering, a lot of laughing, and, and linemen stick together. What is it about the relationship between O-linemen and their coaches? 
I, I think it's, it's two parts. It's, it's one that if you have 15 O-linemen, only three of them want to be there. The rest of them want to be receivers or running backs or anything else. So, so it's the island of misfit toys. They all want to be somewhere else. So you have that kind of, like, you just address it, right? Like, I know you all want to be somewhere else. You can't be. So we're all stuck together. And so it's kind of that misery by company, like you're just together. And then the other thing is everybody leaves us. You got seven on sevens. Oh, what's, what's the old line going to do? Oh, just, oh, don't figure it out. <laughs> so every other position coach is with their position for maybe, you know, two segments of indies and O-lines over there for six segments of indies a, a lot of times. So, so you true. know, um, you're together a lot. You, you bond over it. Plus, as a lot, I mean, it, it, with the line is the same as a referee. You only notice them when they're screwing up. Right. So, so you kind of bond together where it's like, you're getting chewed out by either if you're a coach, you might be getting chewed out by other coaches. If you're a player, you're getting chewed out by the running back or the wide receiver. So you all just defend each other. Like, no, sometimes, <laughs> sorry, we can't create a 12 second pocket. It's just not going to happen. Like, yeah. you know, and I, I think that kind of helps, helps create that bond. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm going back to it, man. I'm going back to, uh, I'm taking the O-line at, at Arlington high. Um, just because I, I, I miss it. And, and, uh, and, and I, I think it's, it's a similar situation to where we were at a couple of years ago where we had to say, Hey, listen, you're the sixth receiver on the depth job, but you could be maybe a guard starting guard. Um, so, you know, we got to kind of build it back up. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's the key, right. Is, is always looking and saying to yourself, you might have someone who's a little further down on the depth chart at a specific position, but you know, if I move you the guard, this kid can move, he can pull, he's smart. It's going to be pretty easy to teach this position to him. And I, I've always found that you've done a great job at that, of finding those diamonds in the rough and saying, hey, let me have this kid. You know, I really think I can, you know, either get this kid to crack the starting lineup or our first or second guy in. And you know, with O-line, a lot of those guys are D-linemen. They need rest. They need series off. And to have six or seven guys, I mean, even to have eight, I'm sure some coaches would, you know, laugh being like, yeah, I have eight lineman but you created that year after year and I think that's something that you should be real proud of because it's not it's not easy to do when you lose and graduate guys and the next guys come up and you know you're 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 ready to go and still have six seven eight guys it's 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 a testament to you for sure um last question before we jump into our two minute round that I've asked you know both coaches so far that I have on here and you know I'm going to ask you and even more so as as a head coach of two sports you know yep at the same high school um, but you're also coaching AAU a lot. I mean, you're a busy guy, Matt. And, you know, I've met your wife a few times and she's such a nice person, such a nice lady and understanding. And you and I have had plenty of talks about the balance of both, but, you know, share with everybody, how do you balance your entire life and, and having, you know, a, a wife and a family to, to be with, but also being able to commit the time you need? Yeah, it, it, it can be a real tough schedule. I, I think um, my wife is awesome about it, but I, I, you know, she realizes I'm happiest when I'm coaching. And I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, some of the stuff you have to make some sacrifices, like with AAU, that's something that I'm guessing she's going to want me to start pulling back on a little bit. But it's like, you know, we might have a tournament an hour and a half away and everybody's staying in hotels, but I'm driving home so that we can go out to dinner on a Saturday night and things like that. I don't have kids. So, I mean, that, that, that takes out a chunk of it. Um, so it, it is just me and me and my wife. So, but you gotta, you, you gotta, you know, you can't let that relationship go sour for five months, every football season or, or, you know, over the summers cause you're chasing fields around Rhode Island and Connecticut and things like that. Um, but no, she even let me coach. I coached the girls' freshman basketball team this year. So she even let me. <laughs> so you've been nonstop, nonstop. <laughs> yeah, she actually let me do that. Oh, when 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 Corona hit, I didn't know what to do with myself. I went from working seventy-hour weeks to like just I, putzing around the house. I didn't know what to do. Um, so she she's been great. Let me do that. You make sacrifices, but to me, it's 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 not selfless it's almost selfish coaching I'm happiest when I'm coaching I always say it's like the only the only time kind of time stands still for me and, and like I, I don't know it might be similar for you but like even on vacation I'm thinking I'm in the pool and I'm thinking oh what am I gonna get for dinner and then you're at dinner and you're like oh we're gonna go to a show like when I'm coaching I'm just coaching I, I'm not thinking about anything else and I and I think that's kind of you know not to sound like cliche but that's like my happy place so a couple hours a day thank you. Like, let me, let me do it. You know? Right. Absolutely. And, and we said that in coaching, you know, I used to stress that to the kids a lot is this is the best three hours of my day. You know, when I come here and I'm with you guys and 
you know, whatever happened in your day or what's going on in your life kind of disappears for a few hours. And I think if you can get that message along the kids and make them kind of just forget what's going on at home or going on at school or going on in, you know, friends or girlfriends or whatever, you get them to, 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 to focus on being able to be out there and be carefree for a few hours. You know, we as mentality have, you know, that coaches have that mentality and, you know, it, it, it is great. What's your advice to young, young coaches, Matt, someone like you who worked their way up in two sports to become head coach and run your own program. What would be your advice to young coaches looking to maybe make that same jump? Just be all in. I mean, be, be all in it, You can't, I, I, you can't just coach in your season and then say, see you later to the kids. And then they come back. So if it's football, you see them in August, you coach them till Thanksgiving. And then you just say, see you later until next August. Like you, it's, it's not a full-time job, but it's a year round job, no matter what you're coaching. And, 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 and really, work to keep those relationships with your kids after they leave your program and go to college and become adults because um, they're the ones who are going to support you later on and they're the ones who are going to come back and, and and tell tell you know your current players what it was like and what success was like and what failures were like so just keep those connections and, and really you know be prepared to have to go into the school on a random february wednesday because you know you have a player that just needs to meet with you that's great. You know, and I think that's it. It's, it's about sacrifice and putting in the hard work. You know, no one gets a head coaching job because it just falls on their lap. You know, very rarely does that happen, but you work your way up in, in any sport. So, you know, I, I just thought you'd be a great person to have on here. Someone that, you know, I know on a personal level that has just worked their way up and I got to know you, you know, after you made that climb, right. In softball, you already had a well-developed program and in football, I mean, anybody who's around you in football knows that you're head coaching material and that I know I was lucky to have someone who I felt like was a head coach on my staff with me. Um, so we're going to jump into our two minute drill. Okay. Um, the, the way it works here is, is that you have two minutes. I'm going to ask you as many questions as I can. I do get a challenge at some point and the challenge is simply just, I need you to explain it to me more. Okay. So I put some questions together here and, uh, and here we go. Let me get the timer set. So I'm just supposed to fire answers at you. Just huh? fire answers at me. If you want to explain for like a few seconds, you can, but we're going to try to fire away. All right. Um, all right, here we go. Biggest victory you ever had coaching in softball? Um, Methuen, 2015. Okay. So what would you prefer to have? Two people on your team that can really hit the ball well or one really good pitcher? Uh, I always just want great kids, but pitching is huge in softball. What's the best advice you've ever gotten coaching? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, that's a real tough one. I'm chewing up clock now. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I, I honestly, I think it wasn't necessarily advice. And I, I'm, I mean this, it was watching you develop relationships with those kids when you took that program over. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Flip to the football side, fourth and goal from the three yard line. What are you calling? Uh, well, we're RPO system. Um, that being said from the three yard line, I want to be big and heavy. So we would be in some kind of power. eye, a little play action dump to the tight end. Wow. I like it. I like it. I thought old line guy, you for sure. We're going to pound the rock. And I like the way you think. I just watched the Pats game the other day against Seattle. So I wasn't going to power it in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, who's going to have more wins this season, the Patriots or the Buccaneers? Uh, I think the Buccaneers will have more regular season wins. I think the Patriots will go further in the playoffs. Okay. Coldest game you've ever coached in? Uh, Salem, two years ago. I think two years ago. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask you this one. I may throw the flag on this one. Um, Best offensive lineman you've ever coached? Best offensive lineman I've ever coached? Uh, I'm going to say Vittorio Forcelletti. I knew it. Go ahead. I'm going to give you a little time to, to explain that to everyone. First off, the way the kid grew, like from, year, from one year to the next, he, he, he went from a kid, he, he might be the one who's kind of complaining about every little ticky-tacky thing that happens on the field, to the leader of that offensive line. Um, and he was an absolute bull. And if you watch, you can still watch game tape from that year. If, if every single time they would walk up to the line of scrimmage and you would see all four heads look to the right tackle who was Vito to find out what, what they were supposed to do on every play of the entire season. So he, that kid was a rock star for me. All right. And, and the last question I'm going to ask you here is who's easier to coach boys or girls? 
And I'll give you a chance to explain that too. I'll give you a chance to explain that too. So now for me, it's girls. Cause I've just, I do it all like a year round. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit easier, but it's, there's less pressure coaching boys. Um, cause I feel like I've been through, I've been through what they're going through, you know, whether it's like how, how many times we, you know, you would must've been the same as me. You're in high school and you've got practice and you're just like, Oh my God, I, I, you got your head and you like, you just got too much going on. Like I was there. I was yeah. never there with all the stuff the girls go through, but I just, I do it so much more often that I, I'm it's, it's getting easier. Um, and, and with the, with the boys, it's, it's, you know, kids are just different now and every kid's different. And we, and, and we're, we're, you know, we're learning. I think if you asked me that question three or four years from now, it, it could flip, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, and I coached one years of girls softball. That's the, the merit that I have on my badge. And um, I found that girls just listen way better than boys. You know, if I asked a girl to run, ju- jump and skip, she run, jump and skip. I ask a boy to do that. It's run, jog, jump maybe skip like it, it it's it's always inconsistent but with girls you're like you're like yes coach and and boom and, and boys do it too but i always found girls just listened more typically than the boy athlete but definitely i know <laughs> i did it one year but um you know matt it, it's a pleasure having you on here you know you're somebody who i i respect a lot both as an educator and in the world of teaching and as a coach and, 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 you know, you coming on here and I just thought you, you have a great story. You're a dual head coach. You've had so much success in softball. I know you're going to have a ton of success in football. The town of Allenton's lucky to have you. The school's lucky to have you. And, you know, we'll all be keeping an eye out and we'd love to have you come back on here at some point, maybe during the season and, and catch up with you and talk a little bit more about, you know, your season and the success I know you're going to have. No, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity and, um, I think this is awesome. I think what you're doing here is awesome. And I, I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there. Um, it's, it, you found a demographic that was, that wasn't serviced. Uh, and I, and I think this is great. And, you know, coaching with you for two years, I, I tell you, I learned, I learned a lot and, uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. And it's gonna, you know, it's gonna kind of dictate a lot of what I do. I'm going to take from what I, what I learned coaching under you. So I, I thanks. Thanks again for this opportunity. It was great. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. You know, we're a big fan of you. The show's a big fan of you. And uh, I know we'll be talking a ton more, you know, together anyways. But um, thanks for coming on here. Thanks for sharing your story. And, and um, you know, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you.